Today's sponsor is Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is also sponsored by SoFi. SoFi finds great people to invest in and backs them for life. Besides great rate loans, they offer career services and events for every member. Find out more at SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me from all those paparazzi photos with me and my new boyfriend, David Ortiz, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe at Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Ann Wojcicki, the CEO of personal genomics company 23andMe, and someone I've known for a very long time. Ann co-founded 23andMe in 2006, and she's part of a fantastic Silicon Valley family. Their mother's a journalism professor. Their father's a physicist. Her sister is the CEO of YouTube, and her other sister is an epidemiologist. It's a very low-achieving family. For the past decade, 23andMe has offered consumers the ability to send in their saliva for testing and get back a report about their ancestry and genetic traits. Anne Wojcicki, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. We've known, we have known each other a long time, we haven't have. we? I remember when 23andMe started. We talked. We wrote. I think I wrote the first story. You about wrote it. one of the first stories. Yeah. Yeah. No, you came. You actually came in, in a, with Spit. your camera. No, oh, you I wanted. Did. Yeah. With back with the flip. Oh right. Yeah. That's and right. you wanted to videotape Stuck me. it in your face. You that's did stick right. it in my face. I was first with that stuff. It, you were. It was a little odd. disconcerting. Yes, it was disconcerting. But let's talk about back then. I mean, mm-hmm. you were one of the first. Talk about your background. I think people don't realize you had mm-hmm. a much deeper health background as an analyst and on Wall Street. Yeah. I was investing for about ten years in healthcare companies mm-hmm. and, and everything from birth to death, but focused mostly on biotech companies. And the idea for 23andMe really came out of that experience where I loved healthcare. I loved the research. I loved spending time in hospitals. But once I understood how the system works mm-hmm. and actually how the system is making money and the type of care and, and the fact that you as the individual don't actually get to make a lot of the decisions about your own care and that right. there's this entire world above you that's making decisions for you. I realized that when genetics was potentially accessible, that we should actually start a change where it becomes about you, the individual, getting access to your own data and not waiting for the system as is to actually give you Why that information. Why it take so long? Because that's been something that the internet has not broken still after this time. But even then, it was very early to talk I about think, that. Well, I think one of the things people don't realize is that healthcare is an unusual model because it's, it's not consumer. So so like Target, you go to any kind of consumer company, Target sells to you, Walmart sells to you. You know, if you sign up for a gym membership, it's between you and that club. Mm-hmm. But in healthcare, you don't pay the bill. Right, the insurance so, company does. So everything is different in healthcare mm-hmm. because you're not actually the customer. And to me, that's actually the main decision. Like mo- I'm always shocked Like when pe- I ask people the mm-hmm. question, do they actually know what's going on? And there was a study that I was just looking at where it said you know, roughly 50% of people go in for a procedure and they don't actually know why they're getting it and right. what the alternatives were. Mm-hmm. And imagine the, the analogy of you going and buying a car and right. walking into the first car dealership and they say, here's your Honda and it's $25,000. And you're like, great, I'll take it. Right. Like That just never would happen in this day and age. So what prompted you? I like A lot of times in the show, we talk about what prompted people to do something. You you saw this going on. What prompted you to pick that as the thing? Because there's all kinds of healthcare things that happened all at once. A lot of them folded initially, the early ones, if you remember. I remember a million of them and yeah, they didn't. Yeah. What prompted you to pick that genetic testing? 
Well, I think there was two elements. I think that for one, it was a being on Wall Street and actually seeing how it worked mm-hmm. um, and having like my background, like you talked about my family, like yeah. my family is an unusual family. And right. my mother was always a kind of crazy advocate for our health. Right. Like for me, it was very normal that we were kicked out of doctor's offices, that we were kicked <laughs> out see, of. There's all kinds of physicians. The doing <laughs> there's all kinds of people who would not want to work with us on health because she was just always questioning and even as a in reporter, my reporter she was a reporter person she was a reporter as well journalist. but even in my medical record it said you know as everyone in this office knows this mother tends to be irrational mm-hmm. and that was just kind of the norm for us is mm-hmm. that like it was just seen as like you want shouldn't to ask be, questions but you, you ask questions like you want to be the or one you shouldn't person. they didn't want you to they didn't want you to, but she was just proactive. She always knew. She was never just going to take a medicine and not actually Understand. know why it was. And so when I started researching healthcare and started realizing more and more that most people are not asked ever what they really want and that you're not actually really part of the decision process. Well, like money, you feel dumb. You feel like, well, it's, like think, it's like the priests. The well, priests and the whole medicine. system, I think, actually makes you feel dumb. Like, mm-hmm. I always laugh in some ways. Like, you have, you know, branded names like Tylenol, and then you have acetaminophen, which is hard to say. Mm-hmm. Like, in some ways, like, the system, there's complicated names all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to know. There's an intimidating white coat. And so, for me, it was about, I actually want the consumer. The consumer and you asking for your data, you're the big loophole in healthcare. Like, you're actually in charge of yourself, but no one actually tells you you're in charge. Mm-hmm. To me, it almost is like a communist society where people are so used to being told what they should and they should not do. And what we're in some ways trying to do was we're trying to wake people up to the fact that they're actually responsible for their own health. But you and were early into this. We were. but yeah. like, And I realized for me it was because my entire life mm-hmm. I was raised this way. I was always raised to question. I never go to a doctor and just get one opinion. Right. I always am asking questions. Like I never just like I, I'll get lots of prescriptions and I don't fill half of them. Not mm-hmm. because like just because I want to know and like I want to really and I question. This? Well yeah do I really need to take this? So why why genetics? Because this is the, the heart of it? Or, well, or that it was something you could make easy and commercial and fun? Because you, you sort of made it fun, like the idea of it. So okay. there's two elements for me that were really important. So one, I think genetics is so fundamental to you and who you are. Mm-hmm. If you think about, like, in some ways we got lucky in the capacity of, like, something that – a technology that's as fundamental as looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not everything about you, but it's essentially – it's like your core structure. It's what mm-hmm. you come from. So right. the fact suddenly – when I was in uh, investing on Wall Street and in 2000. I saw that there was an introduction of a new kind of technology where you could get access to your genome-wide information. You could get access essentially to your entire genome mm-hmm. pretty cheaply. Right. And it suddenly, like when I would do diligence on it and I would call around to people and people said, for the first time in our lives, like the excitement of what is going to happen is palpable. Mm-hmm. People are so excited about the potential of what's going to come with this genomics revolution. Mm-hmm. So I saw two avenues here. One, I want to be part of it. Like, right. I want my genome. I want to see what's coming. Like, I totally want to be part of it. And two, if the scientists are that excited mm-hmm. and they're saying, like, this is one of the greatest revolutions mm-hmm. of our time, we'll let all the people be part of this. Mm-hmm. Because we're essentially, to me, it's, it's like there's this amazing, mysterious code that's inside every single one of us. Right. Don't you want to know what it means? Well, like, yes. I yes. do. Yeah. And that's why NIH is putting billions of dollars into trying to understand and decode that genome. And so what 23andMe is trying to do is give people an opportunity to learn about is themselves. Is that what you were initially trying to yeah. do? Yeah. Because we're to talk about what happened. Because you, you rushed into this and then got in trouble with the FDA. Well, the, so, but talk about before, what was the initial idea? This was the give, initial idea. Was, the and initial, it remains the same idea. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things my board members will say is that the idea and the vision of the company has not changed since mm-hmm. we started. Is that it was really about how is it that, like, and I remember, well, I mean, 
and there's all kinds of ways this, that 23andMe came together. But it was the idea, if I can empower people, if I can in some ways, you know, imitate some of the things that I saw going on in social media, like mm-hmm. Facebook and um, MySpace at the time, and like the, all this oh, drive to get people online. Right. And then all these people want to share their information and combine that with the goodwill energy of, you know, Susan G. Komen and Livestrong mm-hmm. and empower people to take ownership, but then empower then them share also to come together yeah. that we could actually really revolutionize research and kind of revolutionize care. Right. Was it too early? Because one of the things you did, which I thought was interesting, is you did these spit tests. You had a lot of celebrity spit tests and where people came from. And I remember doing one with Rupert Murdoch at mm-hmm. one of our events. Yes, uh, that yeah. was memorable. Thank God we weren't related. Phew. <laughs> um, um, and, and it was full of useful information. And we'll talk about the personal mm-hmm. thing that happened to me too later. But you were very early trying to popularize this idea yes. of healthcare. And you had trouble with the FDA. Talk a little bit about that. Talk a little so bit. So I think that. without a doubt, we've been early. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about it. There were all... a couple of companies that did this, several, like what you right. were doing. There's sort of what we said, like the big three back in the time. There's two other companies that were really doing this as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's early. I think the challenge here is that people don't necessarily know why they would ever want their genome. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we we didn't quite you didn't realize enough, right. is that the average individual, if I tell you like, oh, you know, do you want your genetic information? People just have absolutely no idea what would they even do with it. Right. So there was a massive education that we've had to actually do. Right. And so I so think you tried to do things like, oh, you're related to these people. Oh, these diseases, all these. It was sort of fun, gaming almost, mm-hmm. gamifying. Well, but for me, part of it is like your genome is not just about health. Mm-hmm. Health, like, and that's one of the misperceptions that people had. Is people would come to me and say, "Oh, I don't know. I don't want to know the day I'm going to die. Right. I don't want to know what diseases I'm going to die from." And I, and part for me is genetics has a bad rap in that mm-hmm. capacity. Like, your genetics is is a digital reflection of you. Right. So it's this long tail. It's a beautiful long tail of humanity of all this diversity that's mm-hmm. out there, all the really interesting things. Like, why are some people so exceptional at sports or at math right. or in different capacities? And that a lot of that probably comes out from different things in our genome. Right. And so we want to understand But you focus on, you on asparagus pea, you focus on a yeah. lot of like different things that people had commonalities. Right. And, and I, what we found too is that then people can understand that. Like we talked about that actually at your right. conference, like where right. we spoke specifically about things like the asparagus and the pea is that people can all relate to that. Right. Whereas if I come and I say, hey, here's the latest literature on Parkinson's, that's going to appeal to a certain crowd. Mm-hmm. But if I say like, hey, we did a study on, are you a morning person or a night person? Everyone in some ways can relate to that kind right. of topic. But then it's, what do they do with it? That's the thing. I think that's been the most difficult part, correct? Is what well, so I'd say two things. Like one, in some ways, people just love knowing, n- knowing about right. themselves. And I think there's right. absolutely, it's one of the things the science community I think has missed is that in some ways just teaching people about themselves, like why do you have brown eyes? Mm-hmm. Like why is it like, and understanding like, oh, do you put, could you potentially have children with blue eyes? Like that's just interesting for people to mm-hmm. understand and like understand why they are. I would say there's also lots of really interesting health information that people learned on our old product and that they're mm-hmm. actually learning today. But things like, are you a carrier for cystic fibrosis? Mm-hmm. Or are you, um, you know, potentially lactose intolerant? Mm-hmm. There's those types of genetic variants and some of the stuff that we used to have, like for Alzheimer's and and, um, and such, that we're Which, working on trying to see, could we ever get those back? Back. So we'll, let's talk about that. Because one of the things you did for me, if you remember, and I, you I should do. tell this story, is I had a stroke several years ago mm-hmm. um, in Hong Kong. And we were surprised by it and everything else and it turned out I had a hole in my heart but you called me up during in Hong Kong and told me something you would asked if you could see my profile Right. And you told me, and I said yes, and then... I called you up and I said that you have the factor five mutation, right. which makes you higher risk for blood clots, right. which could be associated with having Strokes, stroke. which my doctors found fascinating. And the yeah. minute they, oh, 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 like that, it was sort of a, yeah. oh, well, we didn't know that kind of thing, which was interesting. And to me, the beauty of 
genetics and especially having this information on everyone and having it, you know, not when necessarily in a crisis mm-hmm. is that it, it can potentially be sort of a missing piece in your health history mm-hmm. that helps you prevent or helps you better guide your care. Right. So factor five, for instance, is something where we've had a number of different people come and, and talk to us about, wow, that actually the fact that we had that ahead of time and that then we were able to mention that to the physician had a big impact yeah. on us. Yeah, I think I would have known about it sooner. It would have been nicer. But, you know, I didn't even pay attention right. to it at the time. It was there and it wasn't it was something I paid attention to. But talk a little bit very briefly and we'll get into it in the next thing about what got you into trouble there. You were giving people, can you explain it in, mm-hmm. in plain sure. English for people? So the easiest way I explain it is that there's two ways diagnostic tests are regulated. Diagnostic tests in this country can either be regulated by Medicare or they can be regulated by the FDA. Mm-hmm. And so for lots of reasons, but in large part because we're direct-to-consumer, we are regulated by the FDA. Mm-hmm. And so the FDA came to us and said, you are a medical device. I see. And so we need to comply as a medical device. So that is where it's a different set of criteria that we need to give to the FDA versus what we had been doing, which was complying under Medicare, which is called CLIA. So why did that happen? Was it your fault or was it that you didn't think that they would do something? Because there was a lot of attacks on the FDA of not allowing health stuff to go forward in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, the healthcare group is like they're not taking care enough. And that, you know, we'll talk soon about Theranos and stuff like that. I think it's complicated. I mean, I think... um, you know, if I look back on the company, it's 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 obviously had a massive impact. I think mm-hmm. that we're at a point two years later, where two and a half years later, where I can say, oh, it's been beneficial. We've been able to do all these things. But back at that time, it was a major shock for well, us. Well, talk about what happened then. Because, um, I mean, entrepreneurs can learn from that. You know, you had something sure. that they just stopped you from doing what you were doing. You had these $99 tests. Correct. And they wouldn't let you do what? We weren't allowed. So we weren't told that we couldn't sell anymore. We were told we were not allowed to interpret health information anymore for right, our customers. Which is the point. What, right. Although it was interesting because it didn't impact. We had considerable growth even mm-hmm. afterwards where a lot of people do want their ancestry information and they just want to learn about their genomes on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were not allowed. They wanted us to go through the FDA validation process and prove that it's accurate and that it's safe before we actually Meaning telling someone if they have a proclivity for a heart attack or blank, blank, whatever it is. Whatever that, right. So, if, you know, if I tell you you're a carrier for cystic fibrosis, if I tell you you're high risk for Alzheimer's, all of that actually need to go through an approval process. Right. And so we had to stop giving that information. We didn't have to, all the customers that we had before were able to keep their information, but we had to stop actually giving the information. And where is that now? Where is that? Situation? So we got our first approval for Bloom syndrome and the FDA essentially what is that? I'm sorry, I'm not it's not. something that you might it's like cystic fibrosis but it's something that you potentially could pass down to your children and if you and your partner both carry that you could have an affected child mm-hmm. so we so you've got to go through disease by disease so in that instance we were able to down classify and actually say there's a whole bunch so there's 30 plus reports where mm-hmm. we were actually able to get cleared all at once mm-hmm. so we got did Bloom syndrome and then they're able to say Based on what you did with there, if you can replicate that in all these other disease areas, then you don't have to go back to us for every single report, but actually you can just essentially self-certify that you've done it, the comprehension testing and the accuracy testing for all of those. Right. So we're able to do that. So that's why we're able to be back on the market now with about 65 different reports. And what are the most important ones that people want to know? Well, I think the thing, you know, when I look back, people, our customers definitely want Interestingly, the number one thing that people ever requested was Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, um, I guess which is, I was going to say that. Which is interesting because it's one of those things that you can't get from your, your the medical world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that actually highlights some of the things I saw when I was on Wall Street is that what the system is providing isn't necessarily what the consumers want. Mm-hmm. And in part, I think that goes because the consumer doesn't pay the mm-hmm. bill. Right. The system doesn't necessarily provide what the consumer wants. Right. And so I think that's where it was really interesting to me to see 
all these doctors talking about, oh, consumers, they don't want their Alzheimer's. It's like it's scary do. for them. But the reality is that consumers really want that yeah. information. Well, they don't want it, but they want it. Well, they obviously do. They so are you able to do that now? Or no, when is we're that not able happen? to do Alzheimer's when is that going to happen? So that's where we're working through a whole process. Like one of the things that we've had to do is show comprehension testing mm -hmm. um, and show that when people get this information that they actually can understand what it means and that they can actually know exactly what to do with so it. So sometimes treating customers like they're stupid, like, which is interesting. But you don't have to say that. I just did. Well, <laughs> we treat them. I mean, what we've had to do is that there's complex genetics ideas. Right. And part of our goal of our company, when I talk about the education side, is make it so that genetics can be understood by anybody of any education level. Right. And that's what I'm most proud of is that, you know, we have over 90% comprehension with our the test that we got cleared. People. So, like, anyone with any kind of education background can go and actually read this information and, and understand it. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about the FDA and also Theranos and some other topics with Ann Wojcicki, CEO of 23andMe, a personal genomics company. But first, a word from our sponsors. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses at a fraction of the price. A Casper mattress is one of a kind. It's obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. It has just the right sink and just the right bounce. Two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, come together for better nights and brighter days. And then there's the risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. These mattresses are made in America. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. That's casper.com slash R-E-C-O-D-E for those of you who can't spell. And use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. We'd also like to thank Walker Corporate Law. Are you an entrepreneur or startup looking for legal help with your financing, acquisition, or incorporation? If so, then you should consider checking out Walker Corporate Law. Walker Corporate Law is a different kind of law firm. Unlike traditional law firms, they only have lawyers with 10 to 25 years of experience, which means you're going to get the personal attention from a senior lawyer, not a junior lawyer, getting on-the-job training. They also encourage fixed fees because they believe that when lawyers bill by the hour, it rewards inefficiency. So check them out at walkercorporatelaw.com, or you can call the founder, oddly enough here, 415-979-9999. That's Walker Corporate Law at 415-979-9999. We're here with Ann Wojcicki, who is the CEO of personal genomics company 23andMe, and we're talking about how the company started and some of the struggles it had to get going after a pretty big, I don't want to say hype, but you got a lot of attention mm -hmm. for it because it was, you did a lot well, of I think stuff. it was also so unusual. Yes, it was. Like getting your genome. Yes, we, we were sick of photo startups, and it was, certainly was different. You had people spit. <laughs> We've, you had spit parties, right? We did have spit parties. Well, it's also because we're telling you, like, the thing I think that's interesting about what we do is, like, it is this code within you, mm -hmm. and until you get your genome, you just have no idea. Right, exactly. What, like, there's no other way to get it. I found out we had um, African blood, which was oh. really interesting because yeah. we're Italian, and so it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. A lot, quite a lot. And I have, uh, I had one kid, and my partner Megan had another, and so we had very different genetics, the kids, but they had similar but very different. Mm -hmm. So it it was fascinating to look at. You yeah, know, no, as a the family. ancestry and the relative component yeah. is in. I mean, mm -hmm. people talk. We get a lot of hype because of the health side, mm -hmm. but the ancestry and the relative side is is fascinating. And everyone has a story. I mean, right. that's one thing you think about is like, especially with the non paternity right. issues over the last three years. You, you're everyone finds relatives. Oh, all kinds of things. All it was kind. interesting. It, my mother had both African and Arab, and I didn't mm -hmm. have Arab. It was really, and it was you know, mm -hmm. she was fascinated too. Yeah. And what was interesting was that you know, my grandmother was a genealogist, and she was wrong about a lot. Of things. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what you yeah. think you came from? Oh, yeah. We're all from the same place. What's well, what I say. Like, there's going to be a new, you know, you can essentially racially profile anyone. I can look mm -hmm. at around the room and try to guess what everyone's from. Right. But, but you, there's really all, you really can't until 
you look in someone's genome. Right. And in some ways, that's one of the problems in healthcare is that a lot of healthcare is based on assumptions of like, oh, you're Korean, therefore you should do this. Or you're Jewish, you should do this. Right. But until you look in the genome, you don't know. Right. Which is why ancestry is actually such an important part of Absolutely. healthcare. Is that a more popular part for people when they use The ancestry that? side? Yeah. No, I mean, I think what people, what we have found, people love it all together. Right. Like people What's come. What's the most popular? There's got to be a popular thing. Is it Alzheimer's, for example? Is Alzheimer's is very popular. In Relative Finder, people want to find relatives. We're really? the ones who pioneered sort of the algorithm for people finding each other. Like right now, if you join 23andMe, we compare your genome against 1.2 million people. Right. And so we're the ones who sort of pioneered how to do that and then how to make those types of and matches. And there are patterns, too, among people, correct? You exactly. even identifying, you involving people in studies and things like that. Right. We do a ton of research. I mean, research is a core component of 23andMe. I mean, right. to me, that's like part of the beauty of what we do is that we're saying you have 3 billion base pairs in your genome and we don't know what they do. So let's all come together to figure that out. Right. Because it's a data problem. So tell me the problems you faced, though. So the FDA came down and you had to stop doing this. People attacked the FDA a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. People were very much aside, although you got tarnished, too, in the whole, because it like slowed your business down. How much funding did you have? How much do you have you raised? Uh, we've raised now about uh, over $200 million wow. now. That's yeah, we've raised a lot. Yeah. But I think part of it is that we could be utterly transformative to the entire industry. I mean, right. I think in two capacities. Like, one, the consumer is just being woken up right. to what they're actually capable of in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I will feel accomplished if there's an entire industry around us mm -hmm. of people. Well, there seem uh, to be. Well, I think that's coming, of people realizing that the consumer actually is the one who should make choices in their healthcare. Right. Right. And, and it's starting. It keeps stopping and starting. I find it fascinating how that works. Right. And I think in part, one of the things that I point the finger at, like, it's up to all of us. It's up to the consumer to actually take charge of that. Mm -hmm. Like, we need, it's almost like the voting. Like, it's your responsibility. Yeah, but that could lead to Trump. To <laughs> no comment. No, no comment. <laughs> we take, I don't know if I love the voter taking control at this point. But in the oh, healthcare, I made you laugh. All right, in the healthcare, in, in the healthcare, healthcare okay. side, if they but, just start, but to ask people them. attack the FDA. We're, you're now you have an FDA cheer, correct? This is we we you, have you well, have a go I, FDA. So there's, there's there's definitely a controversy in the industry because because right. um, the internet's like go go go, let's move. Well, there's two different ways. There's two different paths. Like most mm -hmm. diagnostics on the market today, like there's lots of other companies out there, right. and they are regulated by Medicare, mm -hmm. and it's a different system. And so we're regulated by by FDA. So yeah, I say like we are now we're like we're fans of what the, of the process that we've just gone Why? through. Why? Because we had to go through well, it and it's like... Uh, I think it actually has Stockholm a really... Stockholm syndrome or what? <laughs> Oh, I'm making you laugh so today. I think that look, I think that there's pros and cons of each system, and I right. have respect for each type of system. And there's there's good and bad. The thing that we had to do, we had to do an incredible amount of testing on the customer to make sure that they really understand it, and an incredible amount of analytical validity mm -hmm. to prove that like the results that we're giving back are really the results, the accurate that they results. understand. Right. Well, that that it's accurate and, and that people can understand it. Don't so, go crazy. So there's a process, and I think part of it is you know really explaining to the, the, the entire, you know, what the genome's going to look like in the future and helping, you know, working with FDA and regulars to say, what, this is, is what the, we want to do. the thought of the FDA? Because a lot of people think they're slow. Like, do you go with that? You've heard a lot of people in Silicon Valley, they're too slow, they're antiquated, they're in another era. Do you think that's the case? The main thing I see, and, and I always focus on the positives here, mm -hmm. the FDA is putting in a huge effort to actually understand what is happening in Silicon Valley. So mm -hmm. they've been doing regular sets of meetings at UCSF and Stanford, coming out here, 
understanding what people are doing, trying to better communicate how their process works, better trying to understand what, what was the impetus for them doing this? Because they weren't. Well, I think one, the fact that there is this consumer movement coming. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that we did generate a lot of press, like when mm-hmm. our warning letter definitely generated a lot of press and it wasn't us alone. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's this entire movement like anyone. I mean, you have to like my Wall Street friends say mm-hmm. this, like you have to be blind mm-hmm. to not see that change is coming from this area. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the best things that I learned when I was on Wall Street is I I sat through the entire change of those days when people would say, will people really put their credit cards online? Right, will right. Amazon really succeed? Right. And so the same thing people are saying now, can a consumer really own their genome? Right. And so in some ways, it's not traumatic for me that they're asking those questions because I've seen it before. It's a change. So you have a good relationship with the FDA now? It's- I say now, I, I have a lot of respect for the process and how right. they have done it. Now, Theranos, it's hard to avoid. Setback? Or what? I think because it's in a similar zone as you are. It's trying to, you know, democratize blood testing. I get a lot of blood testing because of my yeah. illnesses and stuff. So, you know, I would welcome stuff like that. Right. But look what happened. I love the concept. I love exactly what they're trying to do. And I and I know Elizabeth well. I think it's. I have a ton of respect for them there. Mm-hmm. In what I've said to her and what I say to everybody, like twenty three me. When we first came out, the first stuff we did is we put out a white paper about how we're doing things. We've published extensively. Right. She's been secretive. Um, you know, we didn't have a marketing person for the mm-hmm. first six, seven years at right. the company because so you were it, looking at product, not marketing. Well, I had the philosophy that I have no business until I've won over the scientific community. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm eager to see from there, because again, I think there's a huge amount of potential there, but I think everyone is just saying, we want to see the data. And I so think- So why have they not released that? Well, I think experience? that historically, I think there's a lot of people who will say the diagnostic industry has historically not necessarily shared a lot of their data. There's a lot of trade secret mm-hmm. in the industry. And so you can make that argument that this is just another type of, you know- She's they, in hot water here. It's not like- well, and I think that's where I, I, you know, she just canceled a conference that um, we were going to speak at together. And I mm-hmm. think she had said, you know, they're focusing on on making sure that they can publish. So. Will that company survive? Uh, they're pretty well funded. Yeah, they got a lot of money. They have a lot of money. Yeah. So, and I think that there's a real, de- there's a demand for a product like that. People want to take more control. Right. And so there's definitely a demand for that. And to be honest, I think everyone loves a comeback story. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, if they can show the data and win that people these over. tests have efficacy, which they don't seem yeah, to. Yeah, and right they now. do have the you know well they do have their first they have an FDA approval. Mm-hmm. So you know for but it for wasn't one quite specific... the mar- what had been marketed the, the miracle exactly. with yes. her and her little necklace of blood and stuff like that her little <laughs> tiny. <laughs> Right, so there was a lot of marketing. So there needs there, there needs to be there needs to be data, yeah. and and the the reality is scientists live and die off data, and right. everyone loves to pick on their data. Like that's that's right. the fun. It's like you know that's the banter. That's our People yeah. magazine of this world. Like mm-hmm. we love to banter about data, and so we just need data. Yeah, not everyone doesn't love to do that. Anna. No, but in, you do. In, in my family, there's a yeah. lot. But yeah. I'm just saying, in this particular world, yeah. I don't have a physicist parent or <laughs> a, a journalism mother. But we could bring you over into the banter. I have been with the Wojcikis. I've been there. I've been they're right in the middle of Wojcikiville, and it's quite a place. Um, we'll talk about that in the next section. But so, w- does Theranos really put a black eye on the industry? Because you're all in it together. Like, there's, I just had lunch with Vic Gondotra, who has Cardia, which mm-hmm. is the EKG thing, which was mm-hmm. astonishing. I, I get EKGs; they're expensive. Mm-hmm. I do this every day now and mm-hmm. get checked every day, which I think is important. Yeah, um, I know. I, so. I think that there's a lot. I mean, there's definitely people. I'm like, I'm voting for you know, I'm I'm cheering for Theranos to succeed because I think it will help the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's other examples like the cardio company that you mentioned, mm-hmm. the EKGs on your phone, which mm-hmm. I think, and I give 
the FDA huge kudos for that. Like here it is, you can get a little device for your phone. I think it's under a couple hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and you can measure EKGs. And that was an example. I actually was with a family member over Christmas who actually has atrial fibrillation mm-hmm. and was holding that, and suddenly wasn't feeling great, and suddenly like using that device, the AliveCore device, was like, oh wow, I'm back in AFib, and mm-hmm. had that mentality of like I used to go to these like incredibly expensive machines, mm-hmm. and now I have a little thing on my phone that right. just diagnosed that I'm back in AFib. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is amazing. Yeah, and then the, the stuff was, I, I, I sent it to my cardiologist and everything. You know, I've, I've had not an issue, but it's, you know, it's interesting. It's amazing what's going to happen. And I think that's where... What, what other areas do you imagine? Okay, Oh, heart. I think ra- radiology. Radio. What do radiology you, is... X-rays gonna, at home oh, with your no, phone? Not say at home. It's just right. that you should have machine learning. Right. There's absolutely, like with deep learning Mm -hmm. and neural net, like there's absolutely no reason why you're going to get a mammogram and it's going to be read by machines. Mm -hmm. And you'll also still have radiologists looking at it. But you're going to have, I mean, clearly computers will be made for looking at things like slides and just teaching them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what's the AI world in deep learning is is mm-hmm. going to revolution. I mean, have a major impact in healthcare mm-hmm. on things like that. So I think in, in so radio- radiology, radiology is big. Right. Um, I think one of the because big- there's so much data because it's so open to interpretation or. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I think people don't realize is that, you know, if you get a mammogram, part of the reason why there's controversy is that, you know, different radiologists might interpret it in a different way. Right. And I don't, and then you die. Like if you yeah. get it wrong. Well, I think right. that's that's where pe- that's why there's yeah. that's why there's issues with right. this. Yeah. And I think that's where you could potentially really have, yeah. you know, that's where a computer could do really well mm-hmm. is start to learn that. The other type of thing is like in moles. You know, instead of actually going to your dermatologist, mm-hmm. you just take a picture of your mole, and a computer could actually start to read that better and better. Wow. So I think there's there's those types of apps. I think more and more. One of the things I'm most excited about is this trend where you see Walmart and Target and other and Safeway and other groups all putting in these, you know, nurses in these medical clinics. Right. So Walmart announced the one minute their, clinics and the minute clinics, but Walmart announced a forty dollar checkup, mm-hmm. which is huge because for me, if you think about your healthcare today, you go to the doctor when you have to, when you're sick, it's sort of this episodic visit and you get a stamp where you're either healthy or you're sick. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes where you actually are living your life, like the majority of Americans, the reality is they live their life going to Walmart a few times a week. Mm-hmm. And if your healthcare becomes part of that, that experience mm-hmm. of, you know, it's affordable, you just pay the $40, it's affordable, you can start working more on prevention. And it's all digital and you get it all. It's digital. Yeah. And I think for me, when I think about something like 23andMe, one of the things that 23andMe is focused on is prevention. So if I tell you, like, oh, care, you're high risk for a stroke. Mm-hmm. And you say like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should start working out more. Should I lose weight? Mm-hmm. If they actually have your food records, could they then at one day say, oh, you know, instead of eating Wonder Bread, you should really eat that whole grain bread mm-hmm. or maybe you should cut out bread. So mm-hmm. more and more, like how is it that healthcare becomes part of what you're doing every single day of mm-hmm. your life? So is that through your phones and apps? Is that how you look at it? I, I think mean, it's where- Should we leave it all to apps? Like you could almost do, you do diabetes now. There's EKG. What else? You know, you can't do an x-ray of your foot or something like uh, that, but a picture of a mole. Well, or- is it th- so they have other things like, I mean, you having small children or having right. lived through small children. No, they're big now. The, they are big now. But ear infections, there's mm-hmm. a little device where you put that on your phone mm-hmm. and it just looks in your ear and says whether or not you have an ear infection. Like no. all of those. Like, but you kind of know when they're screaming, but go ahead. You do know when they're screaming. But it's nice to get some of the assurance, yeah. like, right. okay, it's an ear infection. And whether or not you need to come in, do they need the antibiotic? Like, right. could you just take a picture and send that in? Right. Um, I think do- groups like Doctors on Demand, where you just hold up your 
phone and you have a video consult. Mm -hmm. And so do I actually, do you need to go into your doctor all the time? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of your physician visits can actually just be through your phone. Other companies like Grand Rounds, where if I have a new diagnosis of something, do I want to let lots of different physicians weigh in? Mm -hmm. Do I want to get a whole bunch of different opinions? Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that goes back to that car analogy. Am I ever really going to go to one car dealership and just take what they tell me? Mm -hmm. But I'm probably going to want to get multiple opinions. What happens to the, who is against this? Who is, it sounds great, you know, obviously. And, you know, lots of people say, oh, Silicon Valley, they sound great. And they're fine with the photo apps. They're fine with the Google searches. They're fine with the Snapchat Discover. But this is serious stuff. To me, this is where the internet experience from the late 90s was really valuable. Because you think about today, everyone's accepted Amazon and Mm -hmm. eBay. But it was controversial at the time. yeah. And so it's the same thing. And it's not, I can say all kinds of different groups are controversial Mm -hmm. or, or concerned about this. But the reality is it's just change. And I think one of the things that 23Mean does, and I think that one of the things that society has to question, is whether or not the one-to-one interaction with a physician is actually the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Or are there other ways to be interacting with a healthcare provider or other ways to get a health information. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that this system cannot afford for every single person to have a one-to-one interaction for all of their right. healthcare. Right. Some of healthcare has to be delivered through the internet. It has to be delivered through video content, has to be photos, delivered, apps. F- photos, apps, et cetera. Because we can't afford to have every single medical question be a one-to-one discussion. Especially when we're trying to provide medical care for all. I mean, well, this... Right. If it's 17% GDP and it's it's $3 trillion, I mean, it's it's so big. So we have to find— And it's expensive when people get sick. And it is expensive when people get sick. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's where the phones and the apps— And, and the more that, care apps. Right. And the more that people actually—like, I really believe in the consumer. The more that you are empowered— to actually care about yourself and you're and we treat you like an adult mm-hmm. like you can take care of yourself and and here's different steps and here's ways and how you learn information and that you take that ownership mm-hmm. i think it's going to have a big impact on just on how you actually then take care of yourself so last question in this section the, the obamacare thing finally got although people still are against it but the idea that the system works better than it did do you think that did a lot of damage I, or? oh i'm such a big fan right because I, because, the rollout was problematic. Well, because so much, and I think it's one of the things that people don't realize, is how much effort was put into trying to avoid certain kinds of individuals, mm-hmm. trying to avoid coverage of people. You mm-hmm. know, like there is some, you know, there's all kinds of famous examples about different things they do. But like for people this that you know are really, companies. yeah, for people, just in, in all aspects of it, like everyone has to be covered today. So there's no longer this sort of game of hot potato mm-hmm. where if we just know Everyone's going to have to be covered. It's a very different type of system. And in some ways, preventative care, like all women, as far as I'm concerned, all women at 20 should have genetic testing to see if they're a carrier for something like cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. And that's not given because who wants to foot that bill? Right. Because it's just much easier. Like in in the the practicalities of it is you just test people once they're pregnant because then you already know they're pregnant. But then for the for the consumer, it's you're left with the worst decision because let's say you and your partner actually are both carriers for cystic fibrosis. Well, then you're in an uncomfortable situation. Right. But so before, so so if you if you could, yeah, preventative care, and that's one of the challenges. The preventative care is not a major part of the system because who wants to pay for that bill? Right. 
And I think the reality is that each individual, you know, for the insurers and for employers, you move jobs, you switch insurance companies all the time. So the payoff potentially doesn't come to you. But under Obamacare, because everyone has to be covered, there's potentially more of a chance that you're if if you over there that you we actually pay for your preventative care. The entire system, everyone's actually going to be having so to get the what preventative has that, care. What could possibly send this backwards? Send it backwards. Excessive regulation. Excessive regulation. That sounds like a very Silicon Valley thing to say. Well, I mean, healthcare is very regulated. Right. And, and I think are. that's where giving the consumer the ability to actually try and take charge of their health more and more right. is huge. I mean, when 23andMe launched and we enabled people, for instance, to post their health results on Facebook, and it was question, are people allowed to do that? Like, doesn't that violate HIPAA in some way? And we're like, people are actually allowed to do whatever they want with mm-hmm. their own information. Right. And so I think the more – my worry always is if we – we need to almost take some leap of faith, like believing the people more, enabling some mm-hmm. – um, we have to take some risk to try and really improve health. Mm-hmm. And some of that is dependent on just believing in the consumer. Right. And believing in their potential. Right. Okay. When we get back, we'll talk about that and a lot more. This episode is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is transforming the financial world by offering great rates on things like student loan refinancing, personal loans, and mortgages. Their process is pretty simple. They look at your financial potential, and if there's promise, they back you for life, which means that when you borrow from SoFi, you get an awesome set of perks too. Career services, member happy hours, nationwide networking events, unemployment protection, and even an entrepreneur program. The idea is that SoFi succeeds when their members succeed. So they do all they can to help their members out. Learn more about what they can offer at SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Hey, Kara, are you talking about maybe you have my back? I flew into San Francisco. I see you chatting into a microphone. All the time. I talk about you almost continually, but only nice things. I was just about to play a clip from your interview with David Remnick, the editor of The New Yorker. Let's listen. I'm excited. If you pretend to definitiveness on Tuesday and then everything changes on Wednesday, well, you not only look like an idiot, but your credibility diminishes. I like the idea of definitiveness changing. (laughs) Well, Ben Bradley used to say that journalism as such is just the, you know, the first rough draft of history anyway. So if you think that your 10,000 word piece on uh, refugees in Jordan is definitive forever, you're a fool. To hear more of that interview with David Remnick and many more, go to iTunes.com slash Recode Media. That's Recode Media with Peter Kafka at iTunes.com slash Recode Media. Thanks, Kara. We're here with Ann Wojcicki, CEO of 23andMe, which is a personal genomics company, which has uh, bounced back from its original, uh, when it started up, had an issue with the FDA, and now it's doing some things. Now, you, let me just finish up with 23andMe. You are doing what? Now, what is your, so you raised $200 million. What are you going to do with all this money, and where are you going? So we relaunched with the new health reports that we mm-hmm. have that were FDA cleared. Um, we're focused really on two areas. One expanding the number of reports mm-hmm. out. So we so want... more spitting. So, well, there's not necessarily more spitting. For us, it's more work with the FDA. Right. So I want to get... I know consumers want tons and tons of information about themselves. Like consumers... One of the more interesting things I've learned over 10 years is just how much consumers want to learn about themselves. Mm -hmm. Like they are rabid animals. Like they want – every time I send a report, the click-through rates, like the amount of information consumed is incredibly high. So people want this information. Two, we launched an entire division called 23andMe Therapeutics. Mm -hmm. So we hired someone named Richard Scheller who ran research and development at Genentech for 15 years. And we are working on actually trying to translate all of this consumer data that we have into meaningful therapies that could potentially then go back to the consumers. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we do, we have groups like Parkinson's Community 
And the Parkinson's community, we are, you know, Parkinson's disease with, sure. that's not well treated. Mm-hmm. So can we actually successfully use all that genetic data and all the data we collect to try and make novel new therapies? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the big areas I think that you'll see coming out of 23 more and more is that we'll be talking about some of the progress that we're actually seeing there. Mm-hmm. And then how does that translate into a business? Do you want to go public? Do you want to get sold to like a Genentech or what's the... Uh, I, I mean, I'm pretty adamant. I, I love being an independent company mm-hmm. and I'm not dying to go public. Mm-hmm. But where's the outcome? Um, uh, I think we can become an incredibly profitable company off of, you know, a, a direct-to-consumer business and then eventually on the therapeutics. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think— And would you brand out to other areas, like other devices, or not just genetics? I mean, I think that there's other things that are consumer-focused. Right. So, like, would we ever get into microbiome? Would we ever get into epigenetics? Would we ever get into telomeres? Like, there's other types of tests that I know consumers want. Mm-hmm. But I think that—I really—I mean, I, I really believe in 20 years, like, we're leading a consumer revolution mm-hmm. of consumers wanting to take more ownership of their health and actually having more of that more of the voice in, in the care of healthcare and research. Mm-hmm. The same way the consumer has in every other aspect of of our life. Like look at Uber, look at all of the how, like the sharing economy is essentially based on the consumer sharing and them taking that ownership. And that's what we're trying to bring to healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a massive opportunity for us to become this platform for genetics, but then Does there there have to be an Uber of this business to do that? uh, Hopefully hopefully that's you. I don't don't think there's any Ubering in in the genomics, but... (laughs) <laughs> but but I think it's, it I think it's twenty three meaning doesn't have quite the yeah, same. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't no, rhyme yeah, in that way. But yeah. but um, <laughs> we'll come up with another term at some point. Okay, twenty three meaning it's of the genetic of, of the okay. genetics. But it's just more that we become that yeah. consumer platform. Yes, that, got like, it. There's got more it. and more consumer. So movement. speaking of that, staying independent, you're one of the few women CEOs of companies. Your sister mm-hmm. is another, although she's part of mm-hmm. Google and then part of Alphabet, like whoever, right, whatever that is. <laughs> How is it? What is that like? What is that? You know, I know it's an easy question to like, I'm just a CEO, but it's a different situation for women in Silicon Valley, I think. Do you think about that a lot or you don't at all? No, I don't. <laughs> I get the question. You know, I just yeah. spoke at Jackie Spears conference, yeah. Congresswoman Jackie Spears. Yeah. Um, and I always have this saying, like, I wasn't raised to really, like, I always knew I was a woman. I always knew I was a girl. Yeah. I knew there were boys, but it really wasn't until I was on Wall Street when I was sort of pointed at and said like oh but like women normally only do this or like men do this or like different genders are good at different things like I had never crossed my mind and so I'd sort of learned from the Wall Street days like that there's women there's men and then there's assholes Mm -hmm. and you just avoid the assholes so Mm -hmm. like it's when I'm with a group of other people who are CEOs like the the main advantage of being a woman is like I don't have to share the bathroom Mm -hmm. Um, but that there's you know I I find I feel like I, I try to find other people who are incredibly supportive and really helpful, and um, and I'm really lucky. I think that there's a number of mentors who've been like men and women. Um, Such as who are you? Oh, Ariana Huffington has been great. Diane mm-hmm. von Furstenberg Ariana. has been amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I just and even I enjoy interacting with other like even people like Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos, and mm-hmm. um, you know, ironically, some of the partnerships we've done, like we did a partnership with Cell Matrix, and you know that the CEO there is a woman and. There's a number of others. I had a really good group from Wall Street, too, that was women, you know, investing and sort of running their own funds. But that said, there's a a number of men who have been, you know, Bobby Kokodek, people like that who have been just really great supporters and Mm -hmm. enthusiastic about what I'm doing and and give great mentorship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even um, I was really lucky because my my mom was actually the one who knew Steve Jobs because Mm -hmm. he taught – she knew her, his kids. But so when I would, like, you know, when I had questions about pricing, I could call up him and he would call back right away and give mm-hmm. advice on here's how we think about pricing. Yeah. So the, I think there's actually more of a supportive community out here mm-hmm. than we get credit for. Right. And maybe that's just, uh, maybe I've been lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I, 
I do feel like I've I've found really great what people. Because you, you ask. You ask, too. You're very... I, mean, I do ask, I don't but I'm also... I am aggressive for a woman, but you ask. Like, you're always... You, like, you go... You wait in there. For sure, but I'm also really quick. When there's somebody who's not friendly and not responsive, I'm very quick at leaving. Right, so, right. Okay. I mean, and that goes to the sort of, like, I try to focus on the support of men and women mm-hmm. who actually really are willing to help. As an entrepreneur, what do you, what's a mistake you made? I ask a lot of entrepreneurs, what's a mistake you made that you learned from, and what's something you think you did fantastically well? That's a good question. Um... You know, I think one of the things I have learned now is when you know that someone's not working in the position, mm-hmm. learning how to move on quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's where I think that sometimes as starting as a new CEO, you don't make decisions, I think, fast enough. And so I've become much better, I think, at probably making some of those types of decisions. I'm really proud now of the fact that our vision has not wavered. We are adamant about like this is the mission of the company mm-hmm. and we don't get deterred. And I think that that's in a world where so much is happening, we have really stuck to our vision. Mm-hmm. And is that difficult? Is there pressure? I think there's, I mean, I mean, there's all money. kinds of pre- there's, well, there's all yeah. kinds of pressure. You know, do you want to go public? Why don't you do this? Like you could start doing that. Like there's all kinds of other ways. And I think mm-hmm. that we're so mission driven. And I'm lucky that I work with a great group of people who are very supportive of that. But I think that that's where I'm proud of the fact that on day one, we sort of that was the vision and it's we've stuck to it and we mm-hmm. haven't there's definitely been times where there was pressure you know you could imagine right. after the FDA like is this the right strategy what are we doing mm-hmm. um, that there was more of a question but I think that we've really stuck to it mm-hmm. and I think in part like that's it's one of the things I've learned too um, and as I've talked to other leaders in industries you know leadership is not about a title it's about how you act mm-hmm. and and to me it's one of the most important things like we have like I am adamant like I am passionate about what I do because I, I love it mm-hmm. and so so I think that becomes infectious within the company, and I think then that helps convince people about this is the mission, and it's easier to stick to what we said we we're going to do because I have. That and is that passion. from your family too? You talk your without family. a doubt. I mean, what's my, the secret of your family? It's such a fascinating family. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot. My parents are very unusual, mm-hmm. and I think that coming from. You know, they both are – my mom's parents were immigrants. My father escaped from Poland and he came over here. And they are – they're people who love what they do. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things – and Susan and I actually were talking about this, that how – you know, we were raised to know how to survive off very little. Mm -hmm. And, you know, money – we never saw people doing things for money. It was really – you know, we were surrounded by these academics who, you know, love – you know, quantum mechanics and mm-hmm. math. And if I just think about the people who lived on my street, it was people who are passionate about causes and about learning in the world. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, you're free in life when you don't feel like you need things. Like I needed a hat, you know, I need to live somewhere. I need transportation. Mm-hmm. My mom used to always say like, why would you buy, why would you ever go to an expensive hotel? Like a mm-hmm. bed is a bed. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. Or like right. a car takes you from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways having the ability to know how to live your life, like it, it frees you up to follow your passions. That said, you've done rather well. Both, all of you have. We have. And you live a very, you know, top level life now. Yeah, but I think back on, like, there's some of the, th- when I think of the core, like, my core mate, like, there's things I, without a doubt, I, I mm-hmm. enjoy. But my core, like, I would be f- completely fine. Like, I love the minutiae. Like, I love doing my laundry. I love mm-hmm. cleaning the house. Like, I love, like, I think there's something really critical about being totally independent and knowing how to survive off very little. Yeah. And at least I can say, like, I lived in New York for a year where I just, you know, I walked. And this is from walk- your parents. And, and- oh, yeah. My pa- my, I mean, to this day, especially my, with girls raising girls, you had yeah. 
three girls, right? Correct. Right. There's three of us total. Right. Yeah. It seems but like my dad 20. is one of those few people where my we have a travel agent. and She always complains. She's like, your dad's the only person I know who routinely downgrades from business class to coach. Like <laughs> he just loves coach. So there's part of it where there's that you know there's that desire. Like it's just the, the excess. It doesn't yeah impact. Yeah. But let me talk. We're going to talk about one thing because I, I told you I'm going to bug you about this. The attention you get right now. You're in the tabloids. Right. Dating someone named A-Rod, apparently, of baseball. I'm not a big sports person, but I did recognize him. No, I actually didn't recognize him when he was with you. But what's that like? I mean, what is the attention? How do you, you get a lot of attention. Like you have children, you, you live a, a life in the limelight a little bit. I mean, it's 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 obviously become slightly more. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things I don't read my own press. Right. I never watch myself. I mean, that's why I have a PR team. Is like right. they read it and then they tell me if there's something. Right. And I think that keeps you focused. Right. Cause because this I think past it's two just, years. You know, obviously you're married to Sergey Brin. Uh, you share children. Now you're dating someone really famous, but right. you're really famous too. Is that affect you? Does it like, it, like I said, if if you don't read it, you don't right. know. Right. I guess. And I think, <laughs> how can you not read it? I'd be Googling myself almost <laughs> continually. And then, yeah, no, I think like that to me goes a little bit with the frugality element. Like, right. like just focus on what's important in life. Like, right. and, and reading about, like, I know my sister, I know my family, and I know me well enough. Like, why yeah. do I need to read about myself? Right. That's, I guess. And so I, I don't, because it's also distracting. Like, you know yourself. And if right. suddenly all these people are giving you op- opinions about yourself, Right. Like, I don't need to read that. Like, right. I know. I know exactly what. And I'm not going to change. Like, right. I'm very stubborn in this way. Like, I'm, right. I am what I am. And, right. and I'm not, like, you know, I have my PR team who can give me feedback when right. it's substantive of, like, right. oh, you shouldn't say this. Or, like, or, you know, try. Like, Do you have to st- not say things now? Uh, no, no. But more that's, you know, sometimes I'll say, like, a lot. or Yeah. yeah you know. you do. I like that about you. That's <laughs> my favorite you know, part of Anne There's more things. Like, there's Wojcicki-isms. Yes. No, yeah. or more, you know, it's more of substance. Like, hey, right. let's emphasize these types of points or how can right. I better communicate a mission right. statement. But no, there's not. The reality for me is I'm, and I think my approach to press has always been very genuine. Like, mm-hmm. I, one, I still find this whole, like, I love what I do. I love the company and what I do. Right. Um, when people talk about us as family. like I don't feel like I've changed since kindergarten and, right and and so there's like an element where I'm like it's so funny yeah um but no and then the PR team they give me well they give you me are interesting come on like you married founder of one of the greatest internet companies you had a divorce you're dating a famous star people are going to pay attention I you know, get it that. all seems so random I mean I don't know you, you like, might have dated someone not well known I guess maybe you did at one <laughs> point like you did like I'm trying to think of who you could have picked like who you, like Vladimir Putin I don't know like <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm all for long distance, but that seems far. Yeah, that's I, and, and know, also controversial. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake. You know, Trump. I don't know. Like I'm just yeah, saying. Also controversial. Also controversial. Are you political? I'm just curious. I don't I've even know. I've never talked about. I mean, I've definitely gotten more political. Yeah. I wasn't, I was all, my father's loves in, I think, growing up in a communist country where he had to escape and his father yeah. actually was part of the Polish Peasant Party. Yeah. Like, he's very interested in politics and yeah. without a doubt, they have a very strong social bent on, you know, social, I mean. Are they burners? Burners? Bernie. Bur- oh, no. There's, I mean, there, we, we did an event for Hillary. We're Hillary yeah, supporters. Did, so, yes. And I, you know, we're strong Democrats. Like, we've been... But again, I, I as I've learned, I've, you know, in part what the FDA taught me yeah. was how the political system works. works right. And I have, you know, people like Fred Upton have been incredibly supportive that is of the- Fred Upton is uh, chairman of Energy and Commerce, who's mm-hmm. Republican, who's been incredibly supportive of me. And I have learned a lot of the differences between the two parties. And I have an incredible amount of respect for, you know, people on the Hill and, and the system and how it works. Um, I have a tremendous respect for, um, you know, President Obama, like how he's done. Like I am. It certainly makes a difference. As you move forward, it'll be—it's such an interesting election in that way because it sort of brings a lot 
For sure. I mean, I, people I, sort of want to destroy government right now. A lot of the candidates are destroyers in a lot of ways or upenders. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do think that there's a in some ways there's a little bit of a sad element of, of how much there is. You know, we are we're an amazing country and there's the, the, some of the debates have really gotten. Um, see, I think they're good because you can see them. Really? I feel yeah. like it's actually into these really sad sound bites. Uh, I don't know. I feel like you can, this has been there. It's not, never went away. And yeah. now you see it. It's out. And I think anything in the light, you know, the light bleaches everything. Well, since I am new to TV. Yeah. Since, <laughs> I, since I only got a TV. <laughs> I just can't I've believe been, that. I mean, I've been, I've been busy. <laughs> what do you do with your, this is my last question. What do you do with your spare time then? Just, you do your work. I am you have so kids. Busy. I have, I mean, when I, so that's like, when you think about our life, like what we've been doing, like if I, I love what I do, I work a lot. I bike to work every day. And then my kids, and then I have to do like I do have a lot of family nearby. They yeah. require a lot of time. They do. Um, yeah. So like I said, I just I got it. I put a TV in my office, and I turned turned it on a couple of weeks ago, and I was so fat. It was exciting, but in part that was also a, a recovery from Wall Street when I had a TV. You know, I had nonstop TVs over my right. desk, where I just was eager to get a little bit of a break from from media. That, that is it. What does uh, Mr. Rodriguez think about Silicon Valley? He's new to this. He's been. You've taken him a lot of places. He must be like, what the hell? You'll have to this? ask him. I maybe someday. You'll have to ask him on the show. No, I don't know. I'm not a sports. I'm like, the, I'm literally the only lesbian who doesn't understand sports. Do you know how many innings there are? I think it's nine, but I don't know. I don't know. I got kids who like sports. Thank least, you. I got it right. Oh, good. At least I didn't ask how many quarters are there. I don't. I don't like sports. I hate to say it. I just don't. I sat next to Joe Montana on a plane and didn't know who he was, and I had a oh. lovely conversation about Eat, Pray, Love, and everyone on the plane was horrified with me. So just anyway. I know, that's funny. All right, la- very last question okay. for Ann Wojcicki. If you could do anything else, what would you do if you weren't doing this? Uh, so I, I said in this other interview that I wanted to open a coffee shop, and then I remembered that I actually did open oh, you a did? coffee shop. Oh, yeah, you so do have one. I in- do have a restaurant, yeah. So, yes. so I've already Don't you done like that. like half of Los Altos? Or? I'm very involved in my town. Right, I've yeah. learned, again, as, I, as I've gotten involved in politics, I'm very involved in local politics yeah. as well. I, yeah, you, you have a lot of businesses in Los Altos, right? I'm busy. That's why yes. I don't watch TV. No, I'm I know busy. that. You know, I was in Los Altos, and someone uh-huh. was like, you know, Ann Wachiski owns this. And I go, I heard she's awful. And they go, yes. <laughs> I, just, I hope you no. defended me. I, no, um, they didn't. They um, so the thing that it's I... A nice coffee My shop. next soft spot and the next thing I'd love to do, which is healthcare-related, is I'd love to open nursing homes oh. or some kind of retirement care. I love, like, I love old people. I absolutely love... Can you love, digitize that? Can I digitize the old people? Somehow. <laughs> or just figure them? out a way to... Uh, I think you can do remote care in some ways. Like I would, I have all kinds of ideas about how you could actually have, you know, I, I think society should be better integrated between all ages mm-hmm. and how could you actually then have children interacting with the older people and, you know, the same co-op mentality that right. I have to have with my kids. Like I'm at preschool right. all the time. Right. How do I actually involve myself more with, um, you know, senior populations? And I love it. It's a like, really big issue. It's a huge issue. And I also find like my, when I worked in hospitals, I love like each person is like a living book. Mm-hmm. Everyone has an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like. You sit there with somebody in their 70s and like you hear about their life and what they've done. And that's what the questions you ask me, you know, what are the mistakes you made in life? Mm-hmm. What have you what do you regret? Right. What did you do really well? Right. Every single person has something interesting to Maybe say. Maybe you could come up with a company that downloads people's brains. 
Uh, <laughs> Why not? That's such a Silicon Valley statement. Oh, you know, Sergey's working I, on that I yesterday. Know, <laughs> I know Larry Page I, is up there. Been, there's a, I've been I've been in too many dinners where there's a discussion about oh, you know, their brains were, or you know, aliens or yeah, yeah well, no. an interesting life, Anne Wojcicki. Yeah. I got to tell you. Thank you. Come over thank anytime. You, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this has been a great interview with Anne Wojcicki, CEO of Personal Genomics Company Twenty Three and Me. It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Ash Carter, Hadi Partovi, and John Zimmer, just to name a few. Also, Ariana Huffington. I should have DVF on. Mm -hmm. You can find those interviews and more at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try our other podcast, Recode Media with Peter Kaffa, comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Two Embarrassed Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference and Peter Kafka's Code Media. At this year's Code Conference, you'll be able to listen to episodes with Tesla's Elon Musk, Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg, and many others. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back on Monday here with another great guest. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.